The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 62.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty-gritty details we didn't have time for on the main episode. And man, was that episode a long time coming. I know you're probably tired of hearing of it, but we had those technical issues, had to get a replacement computer. It is in place now. It is fantastic. Things are going so smoothly. So I'm excited to be recording a new episode for you and getting into some of the fun things that we're hiding in this issue. So let's talk about Cap's kooky contests. Alright, well, issue 62 actually featured the fourth annual Wizard Scavenger Hunt. Says here, beat the odds and win JLA and Teen Titans prizes, or even the mother of all prizes, the ultimate comic art gallery. Interested? Good. Turn the page. The grand prize that you are truly competing for. It says, the one and only scavenger will make the big time and walk off with the killer grand prize, the ultimate comic art gallery. Through the generous donations of the folks listed below, the big winner will walk off with 20 framed pieces of original comic art. And there ain't no ham and eggers in this crowd either. So here is the list of artists who contributed to this. So you have Art Adams, Dan Jurgen, Chris Bocciolo, Joseph Michael Linsner, Jim Ballant, David Mack, Brian Bolland, Joe Matarera, Amanda Connor, Terry Moore, Gerhard, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Joe Casada, Tom Grummet, John Romita Jr., Stephen Hughes and Jason Jensen, Bill Sinkevich, Stuart Immonen, Jeff Smith, Kelly Jones, and Charles Vess. Guys, that is truly an all-star panel of artists. And they have some here that I'll share with you on social media of the examples of their sketches. There's a Catwoman by Jim Ballant. There's the Stephen Hughes Lady Death. You know, there's the Joseph Michael Isner Dawn. There's Ash. You know, so, I mean, this is some pretty cool stuff. Now, runner-ups, they says, course, even if you're not the Grand Poobah, you could still walk away with some neat swag if you're one of our 100 runner-up winners. Everybody here walks off with a prize package, including a copy of Justice League of America, number one autographed by artist Howard Porter, a copy of the Teen Titans number one autographed by writer-artist Dan Jurgens, a nickel-plated Superman S. Shield pin, a package of five DC backlist trade paperbacks, a Fleer Skybox International DC Overpower starter deck, a package of five Wizard mini comics, ooh, want that, a new Nifty Swell Wizard t-shirt, also want that, a complete set of Wizard trading cards, I need it, a copy of Wizard number one, the issue that started it all for a sign by the big cheese himself, Garib Seamus. Man, the back half of that list. And finally, one of the new Kenner DC Total Justice action figures, Batman, Robin, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, or Darkseid. Want to get in? Here's how. Turn the page. See all the stuff that's listed there? Each item or answer is worth a certain point value. Get the goods, find the answers, bundle them up all in the same box, and send them in. Top point total wins, and all ties will be decided by random drawing. And make sure to use your official wizard scavenger hunt checklist or a photocopy of a friend 
friends, if you're on the cheap side, found in the poly bag of this very issue. It's worth points to you just to use it. So that's interesting. So we do have that here that was included with our copy of the issue. And as you look here, uh, it's interesting because we got 75 different items. So there's items and points and then questions and points, which I find interesting. And the questions and points, it says, for example, which Hall of Fame baseball team owner once set a little person up to bat who is credited with developing alternating current and later selling the patent to Westinghouse? What is the secret identity of DC's Golden Age Sandman? Okay, finally, some comic book information there. What is the name of Captain Kirk's best buddy from his academy days who he later had to kill? And by what common name is the chemical compound hydrogen hydroxide known? So yeah, so some interesting questions that they're digging in there, but then of course, as far as the items that you would need to provide, if you want to just look back at uh, something very 90s or 80s, just retro in general, an empty cassette tape case, a Legion of Superheroes membership card. If you can't find one, make one. So I find that kind of interesting. They're like, we just want to see what it would look like. Now, I know that they eventually included, you know, like an Avengers ID card and a Justice League ID card, I believe. I wonder if they ever got around to doing a Legion one officially. Now, they also said uh, a Sea Monkeys ad. So obviously something you would have to cut out of a uh, comic book. Now, I'm just jumping around here. Hostess ad or photocopy from old Marvel comics that has a Marvel superhero hawking some cream-filled delicacy. Skybox Lois and Clark trading card number 34 featuring DC editor Mike Carlin. About that, I will tell you by the time this episode has come out, I will have released on the TRN TV YouTube channel as part of the Wax Pack Flashback series, me opening a pack of Lois and Clark trading cards. So it might be something to look and see if I got it. I could have sent it in and won. Uh, something I definitely have in terms of trading cards, Skybox Simpsons trading card. I got a whole stack of them next to me right here. Uh, any air freshener with an adhesive backing on it, you know, like a stick up. So yeah, so one of those. Uh, a photo of you looking very goofy in a public place and reading an issue of Wizard. A DC Overpower logo cut out from anywhere. So I found that interesting. It's just like, did you see it in an ad? Did you see it on the box because you bought a pack? You know, that type of thing. A business card of someone named Pat. Okay. If Pat McCallum was handing out business cards, he would have been in great shape there. Any He-Man and the Masters of the Universe action figure. Does that make you think that they were like holding on to them for Toy Fair? Like maybe they were just trying to build up a stock? Any McDonald's Happy Meal toy. A copy of the old DC comic Atari Force. And then it even says here, your scavenger hunt checklist all filled out and ready to roll. So yeah, so there's a whole bunch more than that, but those were some of the ones that stood out to me. Now let's check out the legal words. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, DC Comics, their immediate families, and anybody who sends their entries in multiple packages. You really cheese off our warehouse guy Donato when you do that. Donato's a large man. You shouldn't cheese him off. <laughs> and we have heard about Donato on our The Wizard Files series, so if you want to go back and check out those conversations, I believe uh, Chris Ward had a bit to share about him. And the last piece here, no cash equivalent or substitute prizes will be offered. We have yet to hear a sentence that ends, and get that monkey out of my pants. We're not sure if it's because monkeys don't wear pants, or if it's just that having a monkey in your pants is pleasurable. <laughs> wow, I was not expecting that. Wow, so they mixed it up a little bit this time. That is fun. But yeah, the wizard scavenger hunt, if you are someone who has won, we would love to hear about your experience. Some of the wizard ephemera that we have gathered in the archives actually came from scavenger hunt prizes. So I think in addition to these things they promised to send out, you know, like there were some interesting items to come. But let's get into 
into the non-scavenger hunt contest here. This next one is the Will Eisner Trivia Contest. It says, okay, there's nothing trivial about Will Eisner. He's been around since the beginning of time, or at least the beginning of comic time. With works ranging from the spirit to invisible people, Eisner has proven himself to be perhaps the greatest graphic storyteller ever. If you're smart enough, you might get your hands on this comic legend. Just answer a few questions. Get your hands on him? What? You get to feel up Will Eisner? Anyway, number one, what is the spirit's real name? Number two, where is the spirit's hideout? Number three, what was Will Eisner's first graphic novel? Hmm, so there you go. If you know the answers to those, I guess you could maybe go and uh, watch the Frank Miller-directed The Spirit film and get the first two answers, probably. The prizes, grand prize, one reader will win a Skinny Bones serigraph, serigraph, what is that? Serigraph, signed and numbered by Will Eisner himself. This piece of art comes from a limited edition of only 200 hand-pulled silkscreen prints on archival paper. How they call that a serigraph? Okay. Second prize, one reader will win a Gerhard Schnabel print signed and numbered by Will Eisner. Third prize, two readers will each get a Will Eisner sketchbook hardcover signed and numbered by Will Eisner from a limited edition of 500 and a copy of the Dropsy Avenue, the neighborhood softcover. All these names of these things, you're like, what in the world? This guy is from the old days. Uh, fourth prize, five readers will each get the Spirit Case book softcover at fifth prize 10 readers each walk away with the spirit collector card set so if you were into the old timey comics you wanted a piece of comic history there it was all right the legal trivia contest is open to anyone except employees of wizard press kitchen sink press and their immediate families or pigel Pigel. Must be somebody <laughs> strange from some type of will eisner comic okay let's see here that was the only joke Come on. All right, well, let's get on to the next contest. Fleer Skybox International presents the Caught in the Onslaught contest. Says here, the Marvel Comics crossover extravaganza of Onslaught has been captured on trading cards by Fleer Skybox International, with great drawings from artists like Adam and Andy Kubert, special subsets by Heroes Reborn creators Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, more overpowered chase card goodies than you can shake a stick at. This is sure to be the comic card release of the year, and if you get caught in the Onslaught, you could win it all. How to play? It's a breeze. Just fill out the entry form and think warm, happy thoughts about Fleer Skybox randomly selected contestants will win these great prizes grand prize one reader will receive a complete set of marvel ultra onslaught cards and when we say complete we mean it you'll get the 100 basic cards four overpower bonus cards seven power blast overpower mission cards and three lenticular cards and as a special added bonus all jim lee or rob liefeld drawn cards in the basic 100 card set will be autographed by lee or liefeld whoa uh, runner-ups 15 readers will receive a display box of the marvel Ultra Onslaught trading cards. Just think, 36 packages of Onslaught goodness to play with. Ooh. This is a series I literally know nothing about. Now, I was not reading the Onslaught event when it was happening, nor Heroes Reborn, but I had definitely fallen out of collecting trading cards as well. So this is nothing that would have been on my radar, but man, I mean, to get Jim Lee art at this time was definitely a big deal. So I'm sure somebody out there was collecting them. If you picked up a pack of these, let's know about that. But Let's check out the legalese. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Fleer Skybox International, and their immediate families, and that no good, shiny melon Charles Xavier. Never trust anybody who does it with aliens. Does it is in quotation marks. Anyone who does it. 
<laughs> All right. Offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. Maybe it's us, but we think Onslaught is really one of them evil spider crab critters from the Dark Crystal. Never trust evil Muppets. Oh, the Dark Crystal. The Skeksis? Is that what they're talking about? Oh, yeah, you don't want to mess with them. They're pretty creepy. All right. Well, that does it for Cap's kooky contest this time around. Now let's get into some more fun. We are going to talk about the one and only Mort of the Month. The mort this month is the Ten-Eyed Man. Brace yourselves, this starts off okay, but gets really stupid. Here goes. Phil Reardon, after returning from Nam with a war wound, takes a job as a night watchman, comes across some baddies pulling a heist, gets knocked out, awakens to see Batman standing over him. We're almost to the stupid part. And boom! The bomb goes off. Coming to in a hospital blinded, here it comes, here it comes. Phil finds that the doctors connected his optic nerves to his fingertips. Blaming Batman for his condition, Phil dubbed himself the Ten-Eyed Man, lost repeatedly to Batman, and was killed in Crisis. The Ten-Eyed Man. They really have something against any hero or villain, I should say, in these cases, that had to have an issue with their eyes. Because you remember a few issues back, they had another guy, I can't even remember his name, he was like the Rainbow Man or something, you know, that had his dad was an optometrist, he had to have these special goggles made, so anyway, that just kind of cracks me up. Alright, well, you've heard about the Mort of the Month, but let's get into our next segment. This time around, we are going to check out the Wizard Profile with J. Scott Campbell. Ooh, the hottest artist to this day, everybody's favorite cover artist for variant covers, right? But let's find out at the height of his popularity what he was all about. Says here, imagine getting a phone call from Jim Lee. He wants you to draw comics for his Image Comics studio. What would you say? For J. Scott Campbell, the decision was a no-brainer. I said yes in a heartbeat, remembers Campbell, now the regular penciler on Wildstorm's ultra-hot Gen 13 title. For comics fan, it's like getting a call from a movie star. Like Lee of five years ago, the 23-year-old Campbell represents the next great wave of young artists. Call them the Brat Pack, if you will. Joe Matarera, Umberto Ramos, Steve Scroach, all influenced by the popular manga style of drawing. Young, talented, and very successful. Campbell seemed destined to be artistic early life. Born in Michigan, but raised in Denver, Campbell's mom marveled as he constructed a complete 3D model of the USS Enterprise out of tape, paper, and scissors at age five. His introduction to 
comics came with X-Men Annual number 10, he was immediately hooked. I remember thinking that was the greatest artwork I had ever seen, Campbell says of the work of his major artistic influence, Art Adams. But Campbell didn't immediately plunge into comics. Intrigued by animation, he was accepted into a handful of art and film schools. However, Campbell wanted nothing to do with the high cost of higher education. I can understand going to school if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, but with art, if you're good, you get hired. Campbell spent a year in Denver doing freelance commercial art and using the time to hone his artistic skills. In 1993, he set a self-imposed deadline that at the end of six months, he would be working in comic books. I didn't think I would fail. I just felt I had something to contribute, said Campbell. I was very confident and focused. Campbell picked up Wildcats number 2, which featured a prominent talent search ad. Tailoring his portfolio to Wildstorm characters, he submitted his work. In 10 days, Lee called. Campbell started out with a few pinups in the 1994 Wildstorm swimsuit special, and later, doing Stormwatch number 0, completed his first full issue. Within six months, Campbell linked up with Gen 13. I'm always going to have one foot in cartoony land, says Campbell, whose style is influenced by his animation background in manga. I always loved exaggeration cartoons and animation, both Japanese and Disney. Disney. It's just more of a fun way to express yourself. Currently living with his new bride in Holland, Campbell can't wait to get back and tackle future projects like the Gen 13 Generation X and Batman Gen 13 crossovers. <laughs> I'm really getting fired up, Campbell said excitedly. As fun as it's been to draw Gen 13, until I draw a classic character like Batman, I won't feel like I'm really doing comics. Wow, he had to wait a lot of years before he felt like he was really doing comics, huh? <laughs> wow, but that's wild. Yeah, quite a story. But let's check out the Q&A that they give him here. What's your first comic read? X-Men Annual Number 10. Favorite book of all time? The same to this day. I look at it and I still get that childhood rush. Favorite work of your own? Uh, Jet 13 Number 3, the miniseries. I really felt I had made a jump artistically from the first two issues. Comics you read? Impulse, Generation X. Isn't that interesting? So the artist behind Jet 13 was reading Generation X. The one person you'd like to meet? Steven Spielberg. Superpower you would most want? To stop time. Favorite munchie at 2 a.m.? Honeycomb cereal. Favorite toy as a kid and as an adult? I have this one toy, a transformer named Jetfire. It's pretty cool looking because it's got chunks of metal with which many toys today don't have. The thing you collect? CDs and laser discs. Hey. Person who would play you in a movie? My wife was telling me Nicolas Cage and The Rock, but I'd probably say Christian Slater. Favorite cartoon? Anything by Tex Avery. People you would most like to work with? Steven Spielberg or Robert Rodriguez. Guy wanted to get into movies, huh? Favorite musical performer or group? You too. Favorite TV show? Seinfeld or The Simpsons. Could never go wrong with either of those. Last good movie you saw? The Rock. Last good book you read? Howard Stern's Private Parts. And if you had the power of the Beyonder, I used to wish I could go back to the age of five and have the knowledge I have now, but now I don't know. Ooh, very ominous. Wonder if you asked him that question now, what he would say. But now we know a little bit more about J. Scott Campbell, but I think it's time we get into our next segment. It's time for Robin's Reading Rainbow.
if you'll recall from our wizard news segment of episode 62, we were talking about the top cow and Marvel Comics crossover called Devil's Reign. So it was an eight issue series that was teaming up all these top cow creations with famous figures from the Marvel Universe. And so I just happened to, after that conversation, go to this uh, collectible store that I've been visiting lately. They got a bunch of old 90s comics for cheap. I'm thumbing through. I was like, whoa, they have these? Like, it wasn't on my radar until we read the Wizard News piece. And then I'm like, oh, okay. So I grabbed them. I didn't have all of them after that visit. I went and started looking through my long box here because I kind of have these 90s comics to read books for future episodes as I pick random issues here and there. And I was like, whoa, I had some of these? I had no idea. So uh, now I could bring you a complete conversation uh, with myself. (laughs) But you're listening. It's like I'm talking to you about my thoughts on this crossover. So the first one was Weapon Zero Silver Surfer. And I will tell you that Silver Surfer plays a very small part in this, but it's pivotal because it opens with, you know, Norrin and Rad on a surfboard looking at like the devastation of some crashed alien ships. But while he is there, the ship wakens and starts rising up, and so he blasts it with his cosmic energy. And by releasing the cosmic energy, somehow Mephisto, who was hiding in the shadows, is able to harness that and open a rift, basically a portal, that he uses to cross over into the Top Cow universe, because he basically says, in many issues, because they gotta keep resetting, that he wants a new world to conquer all of the souls of that world because there's too many in the Marvel 616 universe other entities that are after human souls so he wants no competition so this rift opens up and he passes through and now he is in the Top Cow universe I don't know if there's a specific designation there and then there's a brief a stop off where you see the members of Weapon Zero battling these aliens that they are always fighting I've only read the first issue but I just assume they are constantly fighting this evil alien menace And the weird thing about Weapon Zero, from what I recall, is that these are characters that come from all over time. So there's like a gal who was in Pompeii, who's this little girl. There's this Japanese woman that was from feudal Japan. You know, it's like all that kind of stuff where they just kind of pull them together. They each have these armors and various powers. Honestly, Weapon Zero is pretty generic. They do not stand out to me, but one of them, a guy named Jimmy, who is apparently British because he talks with a big accent gets transported down to the Top Cow Universe East LA. So now he is in Los Angeles and away from his team. The rest of the team is kind of like, what do we do? What do we do? Then you see Mephisto appears to the leader of this alien race and says basically like, hey, let's work together because I see this world down here is ripe for the taking and blah, blah, blah. Then you see the Weapon Zero team goes down to Earth looking for their friend. So the first issue is not that great. It's really just like set up. And if you're a Weapon Zero fan, I guess maybe you would have enjoyed it. But the next one here is pretty wild because we go from Weapon Zero Silver Surfer to Psyblade Ghost Rider, which is a team up I don't think anybody expected. The artist here, David Finch, does a few of the pages. That's what's interesting about all these Top Cow books is for the most part, they just like break it up. They're like, okay, you know, you get to do like the big splash pages if you're a popular artist and then they get somebody named Anthony Chun who I've never heard of to do the majority of the rest of the book. The story is by Ivan Velez Jr., again, a writer 
writer I'm not familiar with. But you have Psyblade feeling like she wants to find out what happened to her friend, this guy named Heatwave, but now he's gone crazy and he's calling himself the mayor? And I'm like, the mayor, huh? Okay. And so he's kind of ruling over this New York City with all these, you know, shock troopers, if you will. They got these armors and things. Then they switch over to Danny Ketch, who is Ghost Rider, of course, but he's in his human form and he's basically lamenting to himself that he can't keep his life together because every time things go right, then he has to turn into Ghost Rider and avenge evil. But there's also this girl that I've never heard of in the Ghost Rider comics who's a, apparently the sister or half-sister uh, sub-level of uh, Danny Ketch and Johnny Blaze, who had recently been revealed to be brothers. And she says that now she finds out she's related by blood and has mystical powers. She's doing this kind of seance for herself. And then Eternity appears to her and tells her that he is going to use her power to find you know someone who can help prevent this great evil that Mephisto is going to uh, wreak. And so uh, Danny Ketch is on the subway and she appears in this astral form and forces him to turn into Ghost Rider. It's a pretty great page of his flesh melting off and everything. This must have been a redesign because he's got some red on his jacket. He's got more spiky shoulder pads. Even his bike is a little bit different now. But meanwhile, Cyblade decides she's going to go out and find out what is happening as Ghost Rider is zipping along the streets in flames, of course. And he ends up like encountering some cops and they want to shoot him and so he knocks them all out with his chain but I'm like what do you care if they shoot you I don't think you could die from gunshots Ghost Rider but of course Cyblade witnesses this so she starts fighting him and it's one of those things where he says here this miscommunication and pointless battle ending in cooperation and mutual respect he, they just lay it out so often and I feel like there were a lot of writers that felt like they were clever in pointing out that trope of comics but at a certain point then it becomes a trope just to point it out over and over again, right? As, anyway, so there's a fight going on and all the cops that Ghost Rider knocked out now are reborn as these demons, so they have to team up to fight the demons. But not only that, all of a sudden you have this uh, guy who I remember him from some early Wildstorm comics. I'm trying to remember which one he was in, but Killraiser. So now Killraiser says that he has been reborn through Mephisto who has given him, he says, you always did think you were better than you are, Cyblade. But the sad and bitter truth is that you are nothing. Insignificant. You aren't even considered important enough to receive the dark gift. And then she just says, ah, go to hell. <laughs> and she starts blasting him with her psychic knife, a la Psylocke. And then, you know, she puts him into submission, but then Ghost Rider gives him the old penance stare, and it causes Mephisto to rise in giant flames out of him. It, again, it was an interesting team up because it was unexpected, but I found the next one, which is chapter three of Devil's Reign, Ghost Rider Ballistic, to be way cooler. Now, this is actually written by Warren Ellis, and it has pencils by Billy Tan, and now it says Billy Tan Mung Koi. I don't know if that's his full name or if they were putting two artist names in there, but it doesn't break up the page count or anything, so I don't know. But, and then the inks are by D-Tron, which is the uh, definitely the in-house, you know, top cow guy, right? There's something about 
about Ballistic. I read her little mini-series that she had prior to this, and she is kind of just like a female Punisher slash Cable, but I really like her attitude. I like the way that she is written. She's like super tough, but she's kind of like seen it all, and that's what the opening is. She was in a bar, and all these guys are like passed out or knocked out on the floor, and she's like, it's rough, you know? When I'm outside, this, this this place, whatever it's called, when I'm out and working, it's like, whoa, it's ballistic, chick with guns and run away. But here it ain't like that. And that's what I hate it here. I mean, I know I'm gorgeous. I can't help that. But do I ask these barfly guys to keep hitting on me? Do I? I do not. (laughs) So basically she's just saying, I'm hot. Everybody hits on me. And then I beat them up. But she gets more people hitting on her, but this time they are demons. So again, all these people getting transformed into demons during this devil's reign. So she starts beating up all the demons she's all about it she's like let me try to explain the situation guys i'm young i'm violent i'm ever so slightly drunk and i'm genetically incapable of ever missing a shot so go away let me drink a piece because i'm warning you now i'm nobody's sex muppet That's just a phrase I never expected to hear. So then there's some really cool action here. She's just blowing away demons nonstop. And then she heads on out. And wouldn't you know it, Ghost Rider is there because he saves her from one last demon that sneaks up behind her. And he says, your friends in Cyberforce expressed concerns about your safety. They believed you to be loitering in some degenerate sinkhole and probably ignorant of the danger here. I chose to ride into this New York to find you for them. This was not difficult. Now, I don't recall anything with, like, Psyblade talking about Ballistic in the last issue, but maybe it was just a throwaway line I wasn't paying attention to. But the funniest thing is, she doesn't even really care. Like, he explains he's from an alternate Earth, he explains that they have to fight Mephisto and all these things, and she really doesn't care, which I think is hilarious, probably because she's a little drunk. And she literally just takes out a bent-up cigarette and lights it off his head flames, which is pretty fantastic. Uh, So they make their plan. They basically drive up uh, on his motorcycle to the top of a building. And then she says, you are really, really boring. You know that? I'd try and get you to laugh, but I think your lower jaw would fall off. And then he rips off his jaw and is looking at it kind of confounded, which I think is a weird look for Ghost Rider, if you ask me. It's just he's kind of like, huh do I get jokes? (laughs) It's just a strange moment. But anyway, it's literally all action because there's all these demons with guns in the middle of Times Square. So they just ride in with Ballistic, you know, riding on the back of Ghost Rider's bike and they just take everybody out, which is super fun. They're just like blasting everybody. Mephisto shows up and then they blow up these getaway cars. There were a couple demons that were trying to get away. And it's pretty funny because Ballistic says, they could walk out of the tunnel and find other cars, go the other ways around to get to the other side of town. There must be vengeance. Punishing their motor vehicles is not sufficient. If it were, I would spend my days visiting horrible beatings upon miscreants' furniture. (laughs) So again, I just think that's hilarious. Just a take that Warren Ellis has on Ghost Rider. She says, I don't know, Ghost Vandal? Ghost Upholster? It's Decor Rider! Run for your sofa! <laughs> 
<laughs> so there's some pretty good jokes in here. And then there's this, like, there's so many of these, like, gigantic, you know, vertical pinups, which are pretty fun to look at. Anyway, they successfully blow up this everything that's in this tunnel and take off. And then the last page, you see this shadowy figure up in a building above them. And it kind of gets closer and closer. And you see bone claws in silhouette. So, of course, that brings us to Ballistic Wolverine. And so, again, Ballistic and Wolverine seems like it's going to be a good team up with Larry Hama on the script. Joe Benitez is the co-plotter and he's handling the pencils. And so Logan is a little too pretty here for me. You know, it's handsome Logan, but basically he gets an invitation to go to a sex club, essentially, because he's asking about the fetish room. And that is where he's supposed to meet this girl that he knows from LL and L is a firm that deals in what they call interdimensional finance. They got a few lawyers, agents, and traders who ain't quite human. Not too much different from the lawyers, agents, and traders we got here on Earth. I've been to LL and L's offices in Madripoor, Edinburgh, and on the far side of the universe, and even one on Park Avenue South, right here in Manhattan. But yeah, so he walks through this sex club. I mean, it's pretty gross because he says, when I walk through a biker bar, I can feel the sawdust scrunching under my boots. Lord knows what this stuff is squishing underfoot right now. And you're like, ugh. And there's people that are like all in bondage gear. They even draw Marilyn Manson into the crowd. And in fact, there is even a very strange... Harry Potter, it has to be Harry Potter unless it's supposed to be the kid from Books of Magic, because they're basically the same thing, but he's got like the striped scarf hanging off and he's got the glasses. It doesn't look like they put the lightning bolt on his forehead for copyright reasons, but he's hanging up like strapped to this X cross thing. I don't know, it's kind of creepy that you're having this little kid there, but he's got a big smile on his face. Anyway, Logan breaks in, but he's not finding who he's looking for. Then he gets attacked by some shock troopers in Times square and he has detected that this is not his new york and so of course there's a big battle that ensues because there were a bunch of gunshots he says ah what they're all dead brilliant deduction sherlock who you can call me ballistic i don't know who you are buddy but you're definitely on the two stomp list with the mayor's bully boys and that makes you okay in my book so yeah they decide to team up because he's looking for somebody and then ballistic explains she's looking for heat wave because everybody from cyber force wants to find out what heat wave was doing and they talk about how everybody's being mind controlled now and so he says that he's gonna go find his friend she's gonna find her friend and we go to this dark tower where heat wave him Himself, or the mayor is explaining that he is very disappointed that all of his foot soldiers could not even capture Wolverine or Ballistic. So they crash through the window. Now, this is the main thing for this issue that stood out to me is that they basically get all like geared up in this. I don't know where they got it from, but all this like different artillery and commando gear. But Wolverine has these black, like, you know, kind of claw, fang, camouflage makeup he's put on his arms, but also on his face. And he just looks like Lobo now, even though his skin is more flesh tone. He's got the same marks over his eyes that Lobo has. And I don't know if the artist did that unintentionally or was totally trying to say, see, Wolverine and Lobo, they're the same thing. Like, there's no reference to it. He doesn't talk about being the main man or anything. But that was the thing that stood out to me most in reading this. I'm like, Wolverine? 
Wolverine as Lobo? I wonder if they'll ever uh, make this variant action figure. But basically, they confront the mayor, and Wolverine's got his bone claws out. Ballistic knocks down this girl that Wolverine was trying to find, trying to kind of get her out of her days, out of her mind control. And it works, but as they walk out... They see all these people in Times Square, then it's Happy New Year! And bong, 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 and when that happens, everybody disappears. And Ballistic says, they've all been swept away straight to hell. (laughs) And then the last page here to set up the upcoming issue is Mephisto. He's got a big claw around a nearly naked, except for the armor, a witchblade. He says, hmm, beautiful. Now, Miss Sarah Pizzini, it's your turn. (laughs) Now we have Wolverine Witchblade. This one was a little disappointing. I mean, of course you get Michael Turner art, which is always fun. D-Tron on inks, David Wall and Christina Z are writing it like it is a Witchblade issue. But it's mostly Sarah Pizzini reliving her first few issues if you recall like she got shot and then she was in a coma but she after she had gotten the witchblade and all this weird stuff but here it's as if she never got the witchblade and she came out of the coma and just showed up to work the next day and she's talking to like all her friends at the precinct and they're like you're being honored your friend who got killed is still alive she, you know like everybody survived congratulations you saved the day and she keeps saying to herself this doesn't seem right it doesn't feel like this is what actually happened it's not what i remember but was that a dream of course i didn't really get a witchblade gauntlet all that kind of stuff and so she's second guessing herself and that's most of the issue other than you know you have wolverine talking to zoe this girl that he was coming through to save and so he is kind of talking to her like you know it doesn't seem right what are we going to do about all of this and ultimately he busts through when Witchblade is kind of being seduced by this character who she thought was her enemy, but in this reality, he tells her, you know, no, you're my fiancé, and Wolverine basically attacks her just to wake her up, and he says, I got a half a mind to cut you right here and now, but I know you've been duped. And so as she slowly wakes up, she says, oh, you are real. It's all real. Damn, damn, damn. You better snap out of whatever is going on in that head of yours, honey, because you've been tricked by the greatest of them all. And if you don't act fast, and then you see the guy who was her lover, supposedly, is actually Mephisto, of course. He says, yes, Miss Pizzini, a show. But it was all for your benefit, I assure you. And you performed admirably, as I knew you would, as did your co-star, Wolverine. So now you see that there they are, and it's kind of fun. There's one of those vertical pinups and you see that Sarah is like letting all the witchblade armor go all over her except this time now she has let two big claws like Wolverine's claws grow out of her witchblade gauntlet so it's just kind of a fun little thing they're gonna work together even on the cover itself she's got those blades kind of like Wolverine so of course they slash at Mephisto but that doesn't do much and then she blasts him with some sort of you know hellfire blast from her witchblade but that doesn't work introduces himself this says you know perhaps you've heard of me i'm the ruler of the underworld and i've come to take your soul so that is the end of wolverine witchblade the one i do not have is the chapter six of all this which is witchblade electra uh so i don't quite know how all that comes together there so i'm gonna skip over to electra cyblade which is chapter seven we're almost done here and uh this one is by howard mackie and brian holgan did the plot and brian holgan 
Mulligan did the script, and then the pencils are Billy Tan, Kirk Van Wormer, Anthony Chun, David Finch, inks by Detron, Billy Tan, and all these other people. So in this one, it's called Fear and Loathing, and you have Electra and Cyblade have been banished to Las Vegas, which has now been overtaken by all these hell demons, and they kind of don't trust each other. It's a lot of, like, internal monologue by Cyblade kind of talking about, I don't know if I trust her, but maybe we're closer, you know, than we think, and all that kind of stuff. So they head to Las Vegas, they see all the, eh, you know, it's Sin City, so of course they're making jokes about that, and how people are all very indulgent into their various sins. And then the mayor shows up, he says, Splendid, enjoy the feasted revels then, and if you are all very, very wicked, I promise you a special treat to be delivered upon the very stroke of midnight. But before I go, I shall bestow with you the merest token of my largest? I don't know what largest means. And then, sig huzzah for the fire king, hip hip. So he throws out these coins to everybody, but they're like, yeah, freaking coins are red hot. Ha 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 ha. So he was throwing hot blazing coins out to the people. So now, Cyblade and Electra are going to make their way again towards the mayor. We catch up finally with this guy, Jimmy, from Weapon Zero, who has been hanging out and... I don't know who the girl is that he is with at this time, but she's definitely got some sort of sway over him. And she's basically telling him, like, you know, these people will listen to you. You have, you know, a lot of influence with them. So he says, I say enough with rules and schools and policemen and people making you pay for bloody beers. Enough with birth, school, work, death. No more following orders. I say, let's turn over the apple cart and feed ourselves sick. I say the new world order is this. Life's too short. Take what you want. And then everybody in the bar is like, all right, yeah, he's right. And so they start following him and he's kind of becoming this messiah, which we see a little bit later, I guess. Uh, then ultimately, there is this Citadel Hotel and Casino, which now looks like Dracula's castle. It's got gargoyles and everything over it. Cyblade and Electra are sneaking up in the cover of darkness, although it's kind of funny because Cyblade calls out, while we're on the subject of being detected, did it ever occur to you that bright red is a particularly stupid shade for co Overt ninja escapades? And Electra responds, Red is the color of blood, the color of passion, of pride. Well, don't let your pride get us killed. Cyblade continues to... I, I don't know why they wanted to uh, pick on Electra's outfit choice so much, but Electra says, Damn it, these swords are as sharp as razors because they're climbing up this, like, thorny side of the castle. And then Cyblade says, Didn't your mother ever tell you to cover your legs in public? Electra responds, I will tell you this once. Do not speak again of my... My mother. Cyblade says, fair enough. Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, they show up to the lair of this guy who is the mayor everybody's been seeking, and Cyblade says, Heatwave. Hello, Dominique. Are you surprised? You shouldn't be. Any ally will be your downfall. Dylan, what's happened to you? I don't understand. So she is mesmerized because she obviously had some sort of feelings for this guy, and Electra's like, are you mad? Just kill him for the sake of two worlds. Kill him now. Oh yes, Dominique. By all means, kill Kill me now. End my suffering. Give in to your anger and destroy me. I'm waiting. So all of that is happening. Of course she cannot. So he just punches 
her and ties her up in chains and then holds her out over this giant crowd of evil revelry. And of course, we get to the final chap chapter eight, Silver Surfer, Weapon Zero, started where we began. And this one's Brian Holgan again with Joe Benitez doing the pencils. Mephisto is explaining it once again, a gateway to another dimension of this glorious world, heavy with languorous souls ripe for picking. And now for the masterstroke. How does the saying go? If you build it, they will come. Yes, and he does a lot of quoting of like scripture and, and different, you know, pop culture things we would call memes nowadays, you know, but just those sayings. And ultimately we get in touch with this Jimmy guy again, who's looking very goth. He's got boots with all these buckles. He's got leather pants with all these buckles on it. And he's continuing to be corrupted to say that, you know, he is the guy who will lead all these people to great things. Got all, mostly hot girls hanging out with him. But it's kind of funny because there's this one girl in the crowd who says, I heard someone say that like Oasis is going to play. <laughs> very, very 90s to have an Oasis reference. But the Weapon Zero crew now is uh, continuing to search for their friend and the Silver Surfer reappears once again because he sees the rift in the cosmos because he didn't notice it after it was originally created. There's actually all these demons flying up from Earth 616 through that into the Top Cow universe at Mephisto's command. And then we get to this whole scene where all these people have gathered and Mephisto has taken the form of basically the Messiah. He's trying to be Jesus here. He doesn't have the facial hair, but he's got a robe with a big cross on it and long hair and a little hood. And then he's, he's kind of leading people straight. He's like, give me your souls. Give me your souls. And all the demons come through the portal. He's like, see, I cannot hold the demons back at bay much longer. I need your strength. Give me your souls now or risk the blackest of fates. But then Weapon Zero was kind of secretly moving through the crowd and he makes them transform into their battle forms. He's like, look at these misshapen forms that stand before you. Can you still doubt that I'm your only deliverance? But then the true Christ figure of Norrin Rad descends from the skies on his surfboard in a beam of light with his arms outstretched. Greetings, Mephisto. I have dispelled your glamour and revealed to all the loathsome creature that you truly are. Behold the fiend. Look upon your so-called savior. He is merely a coarse and villainous devil bent on conquering your world. Yes. So it's pretty funny. He calls him the galactic hood ornament. Anyway, so now all the demons are attacking the Silver Surfer and Weapon Zero. So it's a big like winged creatures just filling every page with blasts of energy and different weapons hacking them to bits. But what it comes down to is ultimately Jimmy is there seeing his friends and oh, you know what? And I've been saying it wrong this whole time. His name is Jamie, not Jimmy. One of the guys says, Kukio, have you seen any sign of Jamie? No, I can't find him anywhere. He must have gotten lost in all the chaos. And then Jimmy, Jimmy, I keep calling him Jimmy. So then at this point, Jamie is with this woman who is seducing him and she basically convinces him just to take off, like not participate, not save anybody. And that's what they do. They just drive down the Nevada highway and are gone. And there's actually an ad in this issue that tells you in the next issue of Weapon Zero that they are going to follow up on that. So he was just kind of being sprinkled in as a, you know, a point of teasing a future issue. So at this point now, finally, this guy Ingolith shows up and Ingolith is the leader of the evil alien race that Weapon Zero always 
fights that we talked about at the very beginning, but it's kind of weird, like, trying to figure out what is going to save the day at this point, because as we close out here, the final moments, the big bad of the alien race that Mephisto was trying to hook up at the beginning shows up, and then it looks like they are going to, you know, destroy Silver Surfer, the Weapon Zero, but all of a sudden, Heat Wave, what is the meaning of this? No more, Mephisto, I gave into weakness and fear, and I let you cloud my mind, I have betrayed my friends and lost my identity, but if even one brief moment of my life is to have meaning, then by God, it shall be this one, and if I can reclaim one tiny scrap of my soul by renouncing you, it will be worth it! So he blasts? Mephisto and they fly up into the sky and I guess go back through the portal and like you know there's a big you know kind of swirly cloud of light in the sky and then there's a big blast and all the demons and everything are burned to a crisp and then like that's the end of the story it's just like everything's over heatwave showed up to save the day and you see silver surfer just floating on his board saying it is ended hooray hooray all the crowds wow what happened can we get a comment Mephisto shall trouble you no more. His deeds are undone and his captives shall all return to their proper places. The man called Heatwave sacrificed himself to save this precious jewel called Earth. A brave and true hero's death, I could not save him. Remember that bravery. Remember the price he paid before you were again tempted by offers of salvation that come too cheap. Fare ye well, my friends. The spaceway beckons. And that Weapon Zero is just there, Psyblade, they're just looking up into the sky. And that is it. So Deus Es Machina, Heatwave that everybody was seeking after. So there you go. Uh, quite a journey here. The mostly eight parts, uh, kind of skipping out on part six there, of the Devil's Raid Top Cow Marvel Comics crossover. Here's what I will say. There were probably only a few, especially like the ballistic issues that really caught my eye because the art was great, yes, but there was some you know humor in there that mixed it up, which I enjoyed. But I would say overall, I mean, this kind of makes sense. The setup of Mephisto wanting to go to a another universe to claim souls totally works for me the way that most of the characters just got pulled through to the different dimensions wasn't too improbable so i would say this is bad it's not fantastic but i would say that it is one of those things where it fits the era and it was self-contained you know even though they're saying you know planting the seeds for a few other top cow stories but overall devil's reign worked for me i wasn't disappointed by this and truly it made me realize that there were some probably quality comics coming out of Top Cow that I never gave the time of day to, and maybe I'll give another look here, especially anything that had ballistic in it. She's just fun. I enjoy it. All right, well, let's close this thing out. And that does it for this edition of Wizards Half. I want to thank you so much for joining me. But before we go, I brought Michael on here to tell you all about our superhero fantasy draft, so take it away. Hi, everybody. We want to remind you that we're doing our first ever superhero fantasy draft on october 13th we are looking for eight competitors to contact us either through our social medias at wizards comics on twitter or wizards underscore comics on instagram or wizards comics pod at gmail if you want to get involved in this super awesome fantasy draft we've got 134 characters to choose from in 12 rounds we're looking for 10 teams total including adam and i to have this super fun event where we're going to pick and choose players and we're going to compete and vote and judge and see who's going to have the best superhero team mixing both dc and marvel characters combined and at the end of the event the winner is going to get some super awesome wizards the podcast prize pack absolutely 
So we're excited to share this event with you and get in on just the adventure of picking the best superhero team, right? We know you have opinions, so now you get to make that a reality. Just so you know, we're also releasing a video and a special uh, podcast mini-sode just so you will know all, all the, the details, details of how yeah. it's going to go down. So, so that's been recorded. It's going to be coming your way. So Michael did a nice PowerPoint presentation. It's fantastic. So you can watch that on the Wizards podcast YouTube channel as well. Uh, so right now, like we said, it's going to be October 13th. That's a Thursday. For, uh, we're looking from 8.30 p.m. Eastern time until 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. So block it off in your schedules. Make the arrangements. Plan to be there. Of course, we're also going to be having another Zoom event where we talk about the Jim Lee tribute special. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I know we have a lot of Jim Lee fans out there. He has certainly left his mark on the industry since we were all reading as kids. Uh, also, just keep an eye out for new episodes to come. Like I say, we are back on our schedule. We've got working devices, so we are hoping to bring all of that to you on a regular and consistent basis. But in the meantime, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.